All right, good morning, everybody. You're stuck with me this morning. Joe and Kathy are in Dallas being, uh, getting worn out as they watch their three, three of their grandkids as their son, oldest son and his daughter are out of town. So they've been up there uh, having a good time. Please pray for their safe return. They're coming back tomorrow. Um, or maybe they'll stay and take a day of rest before they drive back. Who knows? Now, those of you who are grandparents know how uh, exhausting it can be to try to keep up with uh, little ones when, uh, when you're a grandparent. But, so we get to be in the Word together. We're going to be in Colossians. So go ahead and open your uh, Bibles to the book of Colossians. Um, and, and I got a question for, for you guys. Uh, anybody ever have any relationship problems? Anyone? Anyone in here at all? Anyone? Marital strife? Sibling rivalry? Just problem with friends where you thought you were good friends and all of a sudden something happens and, and things crash? Well, good. I'm glad you guys have had that experience because I never have. <laughs> right? Just ask my wife. It's, you know, they've been perfect throughout. Right, darling? She's laughing at me. Why is she laughing at me? But I can honestly tell you, as we go through this morning's passage, we're going to be talking about relationships. And I can honestly tell you, and I hope you guys search your hearts and your memories as well, but I can honestly tell you every single time I've had difficulty in a relationship, every single time I've had strife with my wife, it's because I'm living in the old self, not in the new self, that Paul's going to tell us about this morning because if we will do what Paul tells us to do this morning our relationships will be amazing if we will stay in the new self and not in the old self so we're going to be in Colossians and of course since I preach so rarely and it's been a while I don't know it's on their your uh, your bulletin I don't know on the insert I don't know when the last time I preached was but it was a uh, at least a couple of months ago I want to go back we need to get the big picture Colossians. Your homework, as always when I preach, is to read the book in its entirety this afternoon. It is going to take you 10 minutes unless you read as slowly as I do, and then it's going to take you 15. So it's really going to ruin the rest of your plans. Okay, so read the book of Colossians in its entirety so you get the, uh, the whole context and, and can kind of let what we talk about this morning soak in. Uh, but if you remember, Colossians starts out with, with Paul's standard greeting, but then he gives us the purpose. Why did he write this letter to the Colossians? And that's in nine, uh, verse, or chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. And I think it's important for us to read that, to recage uh, our brains into the Colossian thing, since we've been in Acts, recage back into Colossians. It says, For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the spirit of the uh, saints of light, and he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. 
So Paul basically tells him, he says, hey, I'm writing this letter because I want you to know God and I want you to walk worthily. I want you to walk in a worthy manner. And then the book of Colossians is basically him going back and forth between those two things. He gives us some facts about God and Jesus Christ. And then he says, because of these facts, do this. And then he gives us some more facts about God and Jesus Christ. And he says, because of this, these facts, do this. Okay? This morning, we're in a do this section. Okay? Uh, it's the last part of the book uh, that we're going to get to. I, pr- I think I probably have two more messages in Colossians, but we'll see how, what the Holy Spirit has to say about that. We're going to be in 3.12 through 17 this morning. Okay? And this is a do this part of his book. Last time, Paul told us not to fall in the traps of legalism, mysticism, asceticism. He said, instead, we're to keep our eyes on Jesus. We're not to go into all these rule-based things. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus. We're to consider ourselves, because we were buried with Christ and raised with him in new life, we're to consider ourselves dead to the old stuff. And the old stuff was in Colossians 3, 5 through 9. And we're going to look at that here in a second. He said, you're dead to those things. Instead, put on Christ-like things. Norm Geisler said, stated in another way, believers are to seek spiritual values, put off the sins of the old life, and put on the virtues of the new life. This, in turn, should affect our relationships with other members of their families and society. So the little section that we're talking about this morning is, is all about relationships and how we, as Christians, can have good relationships. Before we read and get into it, I want to pray. I want to say, dear Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to spend time digging into your word, to spend time together as your body, studying your word. And I pray that our study doesn't just give us knowledge that we don't do anything about. I pray that it changes what we do each and every day. It changes the decisions we make. I pray that Paul's words through the filling of of your Holy Spirit and His empowerment, will change our relationships. I pray that we'll have a good understanding of what you have for us this morning and that that will affect the way we walk. Lord, if there's anybody in here that does not know you, I pray that they would ask the questions of one of the elders, of one of the pastors after service, sometimes make an appointment to sit down and, and ask the questions that they have that are between you and them, and that through the Holy Spirit and those discussions, uh, they will be drawn to you. Because, Lord, as, as Paul said in Acts, except for these chains, he wished that everybody would become, as he is, a believer in Jesus Christ. And that's what we pray, Lord. Help us, give us eyes to see those who don't know you. Uh, give us the boldness to speak with them uh, and the gentleness and respect Uh, to bring them along just one more step in coming to know you. Lord, help us here as your followers continually mature, continually learn more about you, and continually be transformed into the likeness of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Colossians 3.12. I'm going to read all the way through 4.6. And the way this section works, again, this is a do this type of section. It's continuing after a do this type of section um, last 
we, or last time we, we, we spoke, but there was a little bit of this is who God is last time when he, when he, in verse 11, when he tells us there's no, um, uh, there, that this is a renewal, there's no distinction between Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So again, that's a, this is who God is, and then they're going to tell us. And, and the way this breaks up is 12 through 17, which is what we're going to look at this morning, is, is guidance for all of our relationships. You're going to see a lot of one another uh, type stuff. It, it's how we relate to other believers, Okay, that's what 12 through 17 is, and it's general. Okay, and then Paul next time, I can't wait till next time, because Paul's going to poke us all right in the chest as he talks about the three most prominent relationships in pretty much all of our lives. Husband, wife, parent, child, and slave, master. You can read that as employee, employer. Okay, employee, employer would be our context for the 21st century. Okay, he's going to give us that next time, some specific instructions for those. Then he's going to tell us uh, what we should do in relation to prayer, which is our relationship with Jesus Christ and God, right? And then finally, he's going to talk a little bit about our relationship with non-believers and how we ought to engage with them. And that's uh, 12, or, uh, 312 through 46. I'm going to read that whole thing, but we're only going to focus on 12 through 17 this morning says, and so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the, of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequence of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I also have also been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. So relationships, talking about relationships. 
Now remember last time, and that and, and in, in Colossians that we've gone through here, he's been using this imagery of we're, we died with Christ, so we were buried with Christ, we were raised to him with him in new life, uh, that we should put off the old things, put on the new things. Last time he talked uh, about the things we should put off. And in Colossians 3, 5 through 9, I want you to listen to some of these words. He says, Therefore consider your members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to adultery. Down in verse 8, he says, but also now, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. And in verse 9, he says, do not lie to one another. Think of those words in relation to relationships, or in regard to relationships. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, lying. Who's going to sign up for a relationship like that? Anybody? We've all probably experienced at one level of intensity to another and a relationship that those words could describe. Those are the things we're going to put off. Because we have died with Christ, those are the things we're going to put off. And he gets into 12 and he starts off right off the bat. He says, and so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He starts off with the motivation. Why are we doing this? Why should we do this? And he tells us because we're chosen of God. Folks, all of us who believe are elect. We are chosen of God. He chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. He chose to send Jesus Christ to save us. We are chosen. But not only that, we're holy. We're set apart to God. We're chosen and we're set apart. And finally, we're loved. We're loved by God. We're his beloved. Those are three words that throughout the Old Testament describe Israel, God's chosen people. He applies them to us as the church. Not that we take Israel's place, and I don't want to get into that, but those three words are used to describe us his body, the church. We are chosen by him. We are set apart to him, i.e. holy, and we are beloved. Because of that, we need to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I'll sign up for that relationship. I like those words. Those describe a good relationship. Those describe a good relationship. Compassion. What is compassion? It's the genuine care and concern for another's difficulties. The genuine care and concern for another's difficulties. Compassion. And it's linked with kindness. Kindness is doing good and helpful things. In other words, I have genuine care and concern for your difficulties, and I'm going to have kindness, which means I'm going to do good and helpful things. James tells us what? He says, if, you, if your brother is hungry and cold and you tell him, go, be warm and be fed, what good is that? No, you got to help the person as well. That's the kindness. The kindness is the action part of it. Humility. That's a hard one for most of us. What is humility? Biblical humility is not thinking lowly of ourselves. It's not saying, oh, I'm a worm. Biblical humility is having an accurate 
representation of ourselves. Knowing who we are. Knowing that we are sinners saved by grace. Biblical humility also looks at others as more important than myself. Okay, it looks at others as more important than myself. It doesn't just, Philippians 2 tells us, it doesn't just look after my own interest, but it looks after others' interest. That's humility. Gentleness is handling each other with care, being even-tempered, being even-tempered, not getting overly excited about things, being gentle. Meek is another way to, to say that. And then patience. Patience is, is waiting in God's grace, waiting graciously, waiting calmly. One thing I want you to notice about all these words is they're outward focused. Okay, they're outward focused. And we're going to see that as we go through this. When our relationships are other focused, outward focused, we're going to see that our primary focus should be Jesus Christ. But our secondary focus should be the person we're in a relationship. When our relationships are other focused, they generally work well. When our relationships are self-focused, we go back into Colossians 3, 5 through 9. We go back into Colossians 3, 5 through 9, and we ought not to do that. We need to be outwardly focused. And so, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What other list in Scripture can you think of that sounds similar to that? Yeah, fruit of the Spirit. All right, Galatians 5, 22 through 23 has four of those five. Okay. And I think Paul's point here is he's talking about that and throughout Colossians is that this is not a natural response. Our natural response is Colossians 3, 5 through 9 that we talked about last time. This is a spiritual response and we need to avail ourselves of spiritual power to do it. Back in Colossians 1.11, he says, Strengthen with all the power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness of patience. He says, in other words, God's power is the power. God supplies the power to do this. In 1.29, he said, For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. We can't forget what Paul has told us already. This is not our power creating the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is us yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit and letting God's power do it in us. It is a choice that we have to make every moment in every relationship. How am I going to respond? Am I going to respond with anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuse of speech, and lying? Or am I going to respond with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience other focused i'm going to give you the biblical key to relationships folks it's not about changing the person you're in a relationship with it's about you conforming to what christ wants you to be and if you have two people in a relationship it's why he tells us not to be unequally yoked in the marriage relationship because if you have two people both focused on jesus and trying to be who god tells them to be that is going to be a relationship you want to be in. If you've got two people that are self-focused and wanting the other person to change, I'm fine. 
no issues. <laughs> if Jana would just get her crap together, we would be okay. How well do you think that's going to work? Not so much. Okay, not so much. It's got to be two people trying to do what God told them to do. Obeying God and being the person. My son asked me uh, via text conversation we had a couple weeks ago. He said, Dad, how do you know when you meet the one? And I told him, son, it's not about meeting the one. It's about being the one. You need to be the one. And the rest will take care of itself. And that's what we need to do in our relationships. And not just marital relationships, friendship relationships, all that. You need to be the person that you want to have a relationship with. You want to be the person that you want to be friends with. If you're a jerk and you go, man, I can't find out why anybody wants to be friends with me. Well, it's because you're a jerk. <laughs> do you want to be friends with a jerk? No. So be the person that you want to be in a relationship with, whether that's a friendship or a romantic relationship, a marriage, um, parent-child, you know, all that stuff. Be the person that you want to be in a relationship with. But again, it's spiritual. A lot of overlap with the, with the spirit, uh, fruit of the Spirit. Um, this is not natural. We've got to avail ourselves of God's power. All right. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And what that results in is verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So bearing with one another. Some of your Bibles say having forbearance. That bearing with one another, that's bearing with, with something that I dislike in somebody else. Okay, It's not them sinning, it's just a characteristic that I don't necessarily like. And it's bearing with it. If I have a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, I'm going to be able to bear with it. It's not really going to bother me that much. I might not like it, but it's not going to get in the way of the relationship. When we talk forgiveness, we are talking about sin. Okay, We have to be forgiving people because all of us sin right? And when we sin, it does what in our relationships? If I sin against somebody, it puts a wall between our relationship. Forgiveness tears that wall down, okay? But I think that, especially in our modern culture, we misunderstand, even Christians, even the body of Christ, misunderstand biblical forgiveness and what it is. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about it, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask a diagnostic question and I would like everybody to nod your head yes or no you don't need to say it out loud and I'm going to ask you this is God's forgiveness unconditional yes or no okay I am prior don't answer people up here going don't answer don't answer he's tricking you people <laughs> predominantly I saw this and that's why I think, even in the body of Christ, we misunderstand forgiveness. God's forgiveness is freely given. It's unmerited. It's inexhaustible. But I'm going to tell you, people, it's not unconditional. And although you nodded your heads, you all agree with me. Because I'm going to ask you another question that's going to prove to you that you agree with me. 
Does everyone on earth go to heaven? Well, then God's forgiveness must not be unconditional. Because if it was conditional, everybody would go to heaven. So although we often think, if somebody asks us, is God's love or forgiveness unconditional? We go, yeah. Well, does everybody go to heaven? Uh, no. Then it must be conditional. Let's look at what it's conditioned on. John 3, 14 through 17. I know you know John 3, 16, but so rarely do people go around it and get the bigger picture. John 3, 14 through 18. Did I say 17 before? 14 through 18. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, son, his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What's God's forgiveness conditioned on, according to that passage? Somebody? Belief. Belief. In Acts, the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says what? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Belief. God's forgiveness is conditioned on belief. How does that help us in our relationships? You got to believe in me, I got to believe in you. No, it doesn't help us a lot. There's another part of this that kind of goes in with belief, and I think that you can't have the belief unless you have this also. But the other part of it is what's pertinent to you and I in our relationships. Luke 24. So just a few pages back from where you were in John. Luke 24, this is after Jesus' resurrection. He's uh, sitting around with the disciples. 46 and 47, he says, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. What's forgiveness conditioned on in that passage? repentance okay repentance and we see that throughout the scripture and i don't want to get too much into uh you know there, there's a lot of technical discussion about how that works but i'll just tell you i think that the bible teaches that in general if you don't have repentance if you don't say i at some level you have repentance i i have done wrong i need a savior then you're not going to believe in jesus christ Okay, let me just, just say it that way, okay? Uh, in Acts, we've been talking about it, and that repentance that they're talking about in Acts is changing their mind about Jesus Christ, right? Because Paul tells them in his sermon, he says, hey, you guys crucified him. This was the Christ. You need to repent and be saved. In other words, you need to change your mind. You crucified him. You need to change your mind about who he is. He's actually the Christ, and you can be saved. That will bring you to belief. So this belief includes repentance. Uh, one writer, L.L. L. Morris, said, while this is not put into a formal demand, it is everywhere it implied. The penitent sinners are forgiven. 
impenitent men who still go on their wicked way are not. Okay? So God's forgiveness is conditional. It's unmerited. It's unexhaustible. It's freely given, but it's conditional. On our belief, part of that belief is repentance. And the repentance part of it is what's important for our relationships. And when, it tells, when Paul tells us to forgive as Christ forgave us. We see, we're not going to go there, but in the, in the Old Testament, we, we see that this is not a new concept, right? This has been around a while. Uh, King David in Psalm 32, uh, and again in, in Psalm 86, it's more clear in Psalm 32, 3 through 5, after his sin with Bathsheba. He basically says, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't want to take the time to go there. He says, while I kept silent about my sin, I withered away. I was suffering. But as soon as I confessed it, you forgave me and I became joyous. And it's that picture of sin put a wall between David and God. And he confessed, and God forgave him and broke that, that wall down. We see it in the New Testament in a very um, clear way, in a, in a passage that's, that's very familiar to, to, to most. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive, our, uh, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And a lot of people think that's a salvation passage, but it's not because John is writing to believers. He makes that clear that he's writing to believers. This is a fellowship passage. This is if we sin after we come to Christ, it doesn't harm our salvation, but it puts a wall between us and God. And when we confess that sin to God, he cleanses us from all that unrighteousness. The wall is shattered and we're back in fellowship with him. Biblical forgiveness is based on Christ's atoning work on the cross and it's always relationship restoring. Okay, it's not forgiveness. We shouldn't count, call it forgiveness if it's not relationship restoring because biblical forgiveness is always relationship restoring. Paul told us that earlier, and we read it in, in, earlier in Colossians when he ta talked about taking us from the kingdom of darkness and putting us into the kingdom of his son. He talks about this relationship restoring, making peace. Christ, through the, his death on the cross, made peace between us and God, restored our relationship between us and God. So for us, we need to forgive as Christ forgave. Because he forgave us, we ought to forgive each other. What does that entail? That entails two sides. It entails both sides of the relationship. Somebody who has sinned, confessing that sin to the person they've sinned against, and that person in turn forgiving, that brings the relationship back together. If I sin against Jason, I need to go to Jason. I don't need to go to Alfonso and say, man, I really messed up. I totally did this to Jason. No, I need to go to Jason and say, Jason, man, I messed up. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And that's going to restore the relationship. Because he, as a Christian, knows that God told him, hey, I don't want to forgive him. But as, as a Christian, he knows that God told him, you have to. You have to forgive. Because I forgave you. And the relationship is restored. Okay, so our relationships need to be restored. We forbear with one another. 
better get to the right passage here. All right. I was like, that's not working. Uh, we, for, we are bearing with one another and we forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. How often does the Lord forgive us? Anyone? As often as we ask. As often as we ask, he forgives us. As often as we sin and we ask, we forgive us. How much should we how often should we forgive our brother? 77 times 7. 77 times 7 times and I'm done. <laughs> Forget that. You can be in in Mark. I'm going to go to Luke passage and it just says 7 times a day. If he gets to 8, buddy, I am done. Okay. Ah, seven times a day. As often it says, if he comes and repents seven times a day, forgive him seven times a day. There's that picture. One repenting, one forgiving. And the relationship is restored. We have to be forgiving people. Now, what's the other side of this? I can see people scratching their head and go, so I don't, not, I don't have to forgive somebody until they ask for it? Man, that's not what my psychiatrist said. He said I should let things go. He said I should let things go. I shouldn't hold it. Well, yeah, guess what? The Bible says that. We're not to hold a grudge. We're not to repay evil with evil. What are we supposed to do to people that harm us? Pray for them. Romans 12 is worth reading. The last part of it. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And, he is, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we don't hold a grudge, but it's also not biblical forgiveness. Because I know many of you in this room have a relationship that as far as you're concerned, you're fine, or you had a relationship that has been broken. And maybe you haven't spoken to this person in years because something came between you. But as far as you're concerned, you're fine. But that person has never asked forgiveness, so there's never been the restoring of the relationship. Maybe somebody in this room is on the offending end of that, and they have a relationship that they did something, and that relationship was broken maybe years ago. Guess what, Christian? God is calling you to go to that person Admit you're wrong, suck up your pride, admit you're wrong, and ask for forgiveness and restore that relationship. Okay, that's a hard one, but that's what God's calling us to do. And so, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against one, just as the Lord forgave you, so should you. We need to be forgiving people. Again, I'm signing up for that relationship. Somebody who's compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, 
bears with my little idiosyncrasies and forgives me every time I ask. I'm signing up for that relationship. But in reality, I need to be that person. I need to be that person to have great healed relationships. 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And love gets talked a lot, a lot in the scripture. The description of love from 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 7 looks a whole lot um, like our list here. It talks about it being patient, kind, not jealous, humble, or not arrogant. looks a lot like this stuff. But love, love is another one that's misunderstood and misused in our culture all the time. We as Christians should think of love biblically. Is love giving somebody anything they want? Parents, how many kids tell you that if you love me, you'll give me what I want? Okay. Love is not giving somebody anything they want. Love is giving somebody what? I heard what they need. Anybody else? What's best for them? I like that one a little better than what they need. Okay. But what they need is what's best for them. Love is giving them what's best for them. In general, I can say that a general thing is best for every one of us in this room. Anybody come up with what that, that what it is? I know the men from Thursday morning should be able to come up with it because we just studied it as God's attribute of love. What is best for every single one of us in this room? Don't be shy. I am not keeping score up here, I promise. I'm not going, okay, next time. They miss another one, they're going to get uh, put out of the, uh, the, the, the sermon for a week or two. No, I'm not keeping score. What, what, what is best for every single one of us? Salvation. Salvation, okay. I would say that's a narrower view of what I have. What Mike say? What did you say, Mike? God's plan. God's will is best for every single one of us. It's his will that we all be saved. Okay, so again, that was a little bit narrower than I was looking for, but for God's will. Love is wanting God's will for somebody else. That's love. And we see that in the Bible. We looked at the passage, John 14, or 3, 14 through 18. God so loved the world. He loved the world in this manner, that he gave his son. Why did he give his son? So that we could be saved. He wants us to be saved so that we could live in God's will. We see that biblical love. Biblical love. And beloved, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let me ask you, that this is another outward-focused thing. Because if love is wanting God's will in somebody else's life, is that self-focused or other-focused? Again, it's another one of these that's other-focused. Get the, self, get the focus off of ourself. Love is not getting what I want. Love is not that butterfly feeling I get because that person gives me what I need. That can turn into love, but that's not love. Love is wanting the best for somebody else, and the best is always God's will. That's love. And it binds us in unity because God's will is not my will is not Pete's will, is not Marvin's will, it's not what I want, it's not what Rob wants, it's what God wants, and that unifies us. If we are all on board with what God wants, then we are in perfect unity. 
and our relationship gets messed up when we forget that and we go back to what I want and we go back and we live in Colossians 3, 5 through 9 instead of living in Colossians 12 through 3, 12 through 17. Love, the perfect bond of unity. Then Paul goes into three things that are going to enable all this stuff for us. Three keys to enable that in the next three verses. And they are the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and the name of Christ. These three things help us do what Paul has called us to do. 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. We're going to get to thankful here in a little bit. Thankful is listed three verses in a row. So it must be important. I'm going to cover it towards the end. Okay? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What is the peace of Christ? If it's supposed to rule in our hearts, that word rule means it makes the decisions for us. The peace of Christ makes our decisions. It rules in our heart. Turn to Philippians 4. <laughs> Philippians 4, 6. Again, another familiar passage. As soon as I read it, you're going to go, oh yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What Paul has just done is he told us what the peace of God is by telling us it's the opposite of worry. It's the opposite of anxiousness. Okay? Think about it. If you're really worried about something where's your focus generally it's on me it's on me and if i'm really worried about something i'm generally irritable and not real fun to be around paul's telling us the peace of christ should rule in our hearts it should be making the decisions for us and if it does then we're going to be able to have a heart of compassion kindness humility gentleness patience we're going to be able to forbear each other's foibles. We're going to be able to forgive each other. Because I'm not worried. I'm not spending my life worried about stuff. I'm not anxious. How do I get rid of that anxiousness? Man, Pastor Steve, I've tried so much to get rid of my anxiousness. Paul tells us. You take it to prayer, to God. And with thanksgiving, you give it to him. And the peace of God in Christ Jesus will be in your heart. How does that work? I don't know. He tells me it's un incomprehensible. I can't explain it to you because I can't comprehend it. It just works. It just works. Okay? The peace of Christ rules. In John 14, 23 through 27, you can look there later, he talks about Christ living in us. And because Christ lives in us, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we're filled with the Spirit, and it leads to inner peace. It's a supernatural peace. It's not something we can bring on ourselves. It's something that God brings on in response to us taking our cares to Him in prayer. But it's a peace, if you think about it, it's a, think, it's a peace of knowing that we're forgiven. I don't have anything to worry about, because I know I'm forgiven. 
It's a peace of knowing that we are loved by God. I don't have anything to worry about. I'm loved by God, by the creator, master, sustainer of the universe. Loves me. Loves you. Why should I worry? It's a peace that knowing, of knowing that nothing can separate me from that love. Look at the end of Romans chapter 8 on your own. Nothing can separate you from that love. It's knowing. It's the peace from knowing what our internal destiny is. I don't care how bad it looks on earth. We know where we're going to be for eternity. We know our eternal destiny. It's a peace of knowing that evil does not triumph. Again, despite all appearances around you, evil does not triumph. God triumphs. All evil will be judged justly by our Heavenly Father. It's a peace of knowing that God will make all things right and He will restore everything to its very good state. Man, that's going to be so exciting. So exciting. As a kid, my dream pet was a Bengal tiger. I can't wait till I get to have one. And it won't eat me. Ah, so cool. I don't know if I'll want one when I get there, but, just, you know, it's, it's a thought. I don't love it. It's a peace of Christ. It's supernatural peace. If the peace of Christ rules our hearts, we can have a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. The word of Christ richly dwelling with you. That dwelling word means it lives with you, within you. It's not a visitor on Sunday mornings. Hey, buddy, come over for a couple hours. It lives in you, richly dwelling with you. What is the word of Christ? It's this. It's the gospel. It's what he did on Calvary's cross. It richly dwells within you. Warren Risby said, The word will transform our lives if we will but, but permit it to dwell in us richly. The word dwell means to feel at home. If we have experienced the grace and peace of Christ, then the word of Christ will feel at home in our hearts. We will discover how rich the word is with spiritual treasures that give value to our lives. However, we must not think that Paul wrote this only to individual Christians, for he directed it to the entire church body. Let the word of Christ dwell among you is a possible translation. As it dwells richly, each member, as it dwells richly in each member of the church, it will dwell richly in the church fellowship. Folks, we've got to be steeped in God's Word so that it just naturally pours out of us. It's got to dwell with us. It can't just be a visitor, a sometimes visitor. It's got to be there the whole time. We've got to spend time in it. And the results of that are twofold. One is that we get wisdom. He's told us before in Colossians that all wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. But we have access to that. They're stored in Christ. We have access to it. So with that wisdom, we help each other. We counsel each other. My translation says teach and admonish. Admonish, people don't like that word. But it's a course correction. 
It's, hey, you're going this way. Ah, come on. In God's wisdom, let's nudge. And we've got to have God's word in us to do that and to do that well. If we've got society's word in us, we're going to mess it up every time. We've got to be having God's word dwell with us richly so that we can help each other out. And the second thing that happens is we become worshipful people. Uh, now, different translations uh, translate 16 different ways. I personally think that the, realize that when, the, when, the, when Paul wrote this, there was no punctuation, right? So trying to figure out where the punctuation goes is one of the, one of the big challenges for translators. I think that the NET and the NLT get it right, where they put a period after teaching and admonishing one another. They put a period. My NSAB doesn't put a period there, it puts a comma there. Okay, and it says you teach them, you teach them with psalms and things. I think, I think the idea here is when the word of God, uh, Christ dwells within us, we are able to, with God's wisdom, teach and, and admonish each other, counsel each other, and we also become worshipful. So you put a period there and you say the second outflowing of it is with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, I sing with thankfulness in my heart to God. Because God's word, or word richly dwells with me, I'm naturally thankful and I want to worship him. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. The name of Christ. We carry his name. We're called Christians. How well do we carry his name? Do we make a mockery of it? with our relationships or do we think before we act do we think before those harsh words come out of my mouth do i think before i jump back into colossians 3 5 through 9 i am a christian i can't do this i cannot defame his name i carry his name i need to live accordingly I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, all that we say and do should be associated with the name of Jesus Christ. By our words and our works, we should glorify his name. If we permit anything into our lives that cannot be associated with the name of Jesus, we are sinning. We must do and say everything on the authority of his name and for the honor of his name. Bearing the name of Jesus is a great privilege, but is also a tremendous responsibility. The peace of Christ, the word of Christ, the name of Christ helps us to put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another, forgive one another, keep our relationships restored, keep our relationships Christ-like. Finally, a quick word, as I'm way out of time, but you guys are so gracious, that you're forgiving me and forbearing with my <laughs> length of sermon. <laughs> Thankfulness. It's in three verses in a row. And we've talked about it a little bit before. Paul talks about thankfulness a lot, not only in Colossians, but in, in all of his epistles, all of his books. I, I think of thankfulness, and I think what the, the, the general concept that he's trying to get across is a thankfulness is a good measure of where we are spiritually our spiritual walk with God. I know you guys in the Air Force have seen the, the little tab patches that say fun meter and it's pegged. I think you guys should get one that says thankful and have it pegged. And then people ask you, what, what does that mean? 
and you can go, hey, this is what it means. It means I'm thankful to God. Because I think back in my life, and you guys can think back in your too, times when I am at the height of complaining and oh, woe is mean, and I can't believe that this is happening to me, and all that stuff, are, are the times when I've felt, felt the most spiritually dry. When I'm spiritually fulfilled, I can't help but be thankful. And I think that's, that's what Paul is trying to say all this time, that you've got to be thankful. You've got to have the grace of God in your heart and be thankful for what he's done. It's the only way that the apostles, after they're beaten at the order of the Sanhedrin, can leave going, Woohoo! Yeah! How? Yes! Because they had thankfulness for Christ. Not because they got beaten, or not thankful about the beating, but thankful that they were considered worthy to be beaten for Christ. It's the only way that Paul and Silas sing songs after being beaten and thrown in prison in Philippi. Those circumstances are not good, people, but they're still thankful. I think it's an indicator, and Paul tells us, he uses it so much that it's an indicator of our spiritual walk. How close to God are we? And so, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against one, against anyone just as the lord forgave you so also should you and beyond all these things put on love which is the perfect bond of unity and let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching admonishing one another with psalms and hymns spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to god and whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. Man, wouldn't that transform our relationships and make other people, those looking at Christians, go, ah, I want what they've got. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the word, the way it speaks to us. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that enables us to live your word. And I pray that each one of us would be yielding to the Holy Spirit, not resisting that we would let the Holy Spirit create these things in us. That in the moments when we want to jump back into our own flesh, we would take a moment and go, no, Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, enable me to be who Christ wants me to be. To transform me just a little bit more in Christ's likeness. Help us to do that, Lord. And I pray that as we do that, our body would thrive. Our relationships would be rich enjoyable would bring us so much just life for living together in the body the way you have asked us to live and i pray that as other people see that that you would give us the eyes the heart the gentleness the respect to bring people to you to introduce them to you and say this is why it's not in me it's help us live for you in jesus name i pray amen